gentlemen, welcome to Hassel Rockets podcast number 25. Who would have guessed over a couple years in and uh, that we'd be already on episode number 25 and um, we're following a remarkable week at the PGA Championship where uh, Phil Mickelson um, had a truly inspiring and amazing victory. Uh, he won one for the old guys and I can say that because I am one of the old guys. Uh, he became the oldest to win a major championship in history. Um, and it was just, it was so inspirational to watch him just plod against the elements, uh, to see people back in the stands cheering him on. Um, it, you know, this episode, uh, or this uh, PGA Championship was one of the more highly watched uh, golf tournaments in recent memory. It was watched way more than any of the NBA playoffs. Um, everyone who has fallen in love with this game over the last year during COVID um, all of a sudden has, was able to channel into their television and see this uh, gentleman who, by all uh, intents, should not be at the top of the leaderboard and was, uh, you know, under against all odds with age and weather and wind and a field unlike anyone had ever seen in a major championship came out on top. Um, one of the things that we noticed uh, was a tweet that Phil had sent out about uh, 12 days before the event. And I think it's worth mentioning. A lot of you may have seen it because uh, it was uh, trading around social media a little bit, but I think it's worth mentioning. He, he said, I failed many times in my life and career, and because of this, I've learned a lot. Instead of feeling defeated countless times, I've used it as fuel to drive me to work harder. So today, join me in accepting our failures. Let's use them to motivate us to work even harder. And remarkably, less than two weeks later, he was standing there with the Wanamaker Trophy, um, inspiring us to do just that. That it was such a great reminder that hard work and passion can really move mountains. And uh, so here's hoping that uh, he inspired you a little bit to go move some mountains of your own uh, this week and in the coming months here. So uh, it was pretty inspiring. Um, switching gears a little bit, I get to uh, announce our new interviewee for this week's Housel Rockets podcast. And it is one Mike Johnson. And uh, for those of you who might not know his name, you certainly know his work. Uh, Mike is the equipment editor for Golf Digest and one of the judges for the magazine's hot list. Uh, Mike has been involved with Golf Digest, Golf World. If you go back uh, a couple decades uh, with an industry publication called Golf Shop Operations and is one of the most respected uh, industry veterans in our uh, in all of golf, um, he you know I, you, he is spoken about in such high regard from everyone from players to uh, those in the media uh, to even all of the, uh, the the golf companies the equipment companies that he uh, grades um, very fairly in the, in the process of doing that hot list. Uh, he quotes himself as a five-time club championship runner-up. So I don't know if that's like a silver medal instead of a, hot, a gold medal, if we're talking in hot list speak, um, and an avid Mets and Knicks fan. So I'll apologize to him in advance for that. Uh, 
He says he can relate to suffering in golf because of his fandom in sports. So as a Pirates and a Lions fan, I can relate immensely. So uh, with the hot list, uh, I have had a privilege to be involved uh, on the better part of probably a decade or more. Um, it's a process in which uh, it's kind of a three-part process. Uh, one is that the uh, they have some... Uh, uh, scientists that are made up of physicists and mechanical engineers um, that actually uh, act as uh, analysis for them to uh, talk about all of the trends and the claims and the design features that all of the vendors are doing to help uh, reiterate that, yes, the, the changes in golf equipment are making a difference, or in some cases, no, they're not. Uh, I am on a panel of golf retailers. Uh, I, I get a, ch a chance to share um, with uh, Lee Bader and Jason Freya and Chris Marcini and Buddy Christensen, uh, four other retailers in the U.S. that I really highly admire. We get to go through and talk about demand, uh, trends that we're seeing at retail, um, some new vendors that they might not be uh, considering, um, and then the major portion of that uh, trial is a process where they invite um, a couple dozen players to come in and hit balls and hit balls and hit balls. And they uh, have lots of analysis, uh, both digitally and um, from uh, verbally from all of the different players. And what comes out is usually at the very end of January is a magazine in which uh, they recommend... Um, the, the hottest uh, drivers, fairways, irons, wedges, and putters. And it's a very great analysis. I know there's lots of talk in the industry and from certain readers that maybe vendors are buying their way onto the list. And I can tell you from personal experience and from conversations that I have had an opportunity to be part of and see behind the scenes that nothing could be further from the truth. Every vendor that enters that is considered individually, and um, and there has been, over the course of the list, numerous vendors that have been tiny, small vendors that have been included because their design was so good. Um, and so, with that, uh, I get a chance to uh, talk to Mike, and we'll uh, go over a little bit about the process, some things we've learned over the hot list since they started this back in 2004, and... Uh, we're excited to uh, introduce Mr. Johnson. So uh, enjoy the interview, and uh, thanks again for listening to Hazel Rockets. And if you have any questions, uh, feel free to shoot us a note. Otherwise, we'll uh, enjoy the interview. All right. Well, I'm thrilled to have Mike Johnson, the equipment editor for Golf Digest. Uh, Mike and I have had an opportunity to go back, oh, probably one or two or 30 years, maybe. Um, and uh, Mike, I'm super excited you're able to join us today. Well, the pleasure's all mine, Ken, and uh, the 30 years is definitely dating us a little bit. One, yeah, exactly. We'll uh, Maybe we'll cut that part out or, or not here for the interview. Um, as I mentioned in the opening, um, Mike is in charge of what is probably the preeminent magazine edition of our industry every year with the Golf Digest hot list. And um, Mike, why don't we start with just maybe kind of giving the listeners a scope or a scale of kind of this endeavor and, and how many clubs are involved in, and so forth. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, it, as we like to say about the hot list, 
it's not a some of the time thing. It's an all the time thing. If you read the magazine and kind of go through what our process is, you might think it's a bunch of guys hitting balls for a few days at a nice resort, and we kind of use that to generate the uh, list. It's, it's anything but. I mean, it is easily a nine to ten month process that involves multiple visits with uh, equipment companies R&D teams, uh, having our own panel of academics that we bounce the uh, technology stories off of, having a group of retailers that you're a part of, Ken, as you know, that help us judge the demand of a product and what's resonating with consumers in the marketplace. And at the end of it, you know, this past year we had 230 clubs that were sent for consideration and at least individual models. We had a lot more actual clubs, but 230 models. And we boiled it down to 137 uh, that either won a gold or silver medal. And what that means to the consumer is we think this product has an audience and it's probably worthy of your consideration. I know when we go uh, do uh, down to the testing each year, you guys usually have this C train filled with golf clubs, and it just gives me anxiety knowing that there's so many golf clubs out there. And that's only that's just a partial of it, right? I mean, you guys have narrowed it down even prior to some of the testing. Absolutely, it has to be a manageable number. You can't have people hitting, you know, forty drivers. They just can't stand up to that. So there is a little bit of what we. Re- to as local qualifying ahead of time where we we kind of put it through a mini process uh, that mirrors what we do. You know, we consider the technology, we consider the demand, we, we hit the product and try to figure out, does it look good? Does it sound good? Does it feel good? Does it produce the type of trajectory and shot that I would expect out of a club? And if it does, it, it advances along. And if it doesn't, it kind of gets left behind. But, yeah, we, uh, we probably easily at the end of it all have a quarter million to $350,000 worth of golf equipment uh, that has been sent in to us. And uh, it's, we get that kind of cooperation from manufacturers because they know the importance of the hot list, and I think they respect the thoroughness of its process. Uh, certainly it speaks to the integrity of what you guys are doing. Um, you mentioned the academics, and I've I've had the privilege of coming in a half day early when we're doing the selection, and just kind of sit in the corner and and as a fly on a wall and have them uh, discuss theories and designs. Um, talk through kind of the importance of maybe kind of who these scientists are and and you know their education backgrounds, but then the importance of having them involved in the process. Absolutely. Uh, We have seven leading academics at universities, not only around the United States, but a couple in Canada as well. So it's not just a a bunch of eggheads who are talking, you know, collision theory. I mean, they understand what a golf club is and what it's supposed to do and the basic physics about a golf club. I'm Mike Spichero, my partner in this process, uh, and I, you know, for... For working stiffs, we're pretty good about figuring out uh, technology stories and innovations, but these academics really know it. And if there's one good thing that came out of COVID as it relates to the hot list, 
it was instead of having all these face-to-face meetings with manufacturers, they were all via Zoom, and that allowed our academic panel to come join in on so many more of these meetings with the R&D teams and ask their questions, get the answers, and it really greatly assisted us in formulating our innovation scores for this year. Maybe uh, Statura more than you, but you guys both have a uh, maybe a healthy dosage of skepticism uh, when 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 new designs are coming in. Um, I, I, having those scientists involved in that, I think you know, can instantly validate or or invalidate some of the claims, right? Without question, and actually, it's more the other way around. Believe it or not, really I'm more skeptic. I used to actually walk into these meetings with a yellow referee flag that had the initials <laughs> BS on it, and I would throw it on the table if something just sounded way too outlandish. Uh, but but you're right, having the academics kind of in in the Zoom room with us uh, really kept everybody honest, and and it was really uh, fun to be a part of because I Mike and I learned so much more. We learned kind of what better questions we could ask, things to focus on. And and thankfully, very few of the tech stories do we get off the meeting and the academics are like, yeah, no, that's, you know, that's just a garbage. What they really are telling us is, hey, that's a really interesting path. You know, we like that a lot. That makes complete sense. Or they might say, yeah, that's good. That makes sense. But it's nothing unique. It's something anyone who was designing a golf club would probably focus on. So when you when you are discerning degrees of excellence, and that's really where we're at now, in the first year of the hot list in 2004, there was really good product, kind of good product, and a lot of garbage. There's no garbage anymore. It, it's all really good, and it, it's made it tougher to come to decisions, but it's made it where we need to be even more thorough in order to feel confident in those decisions. You you mentioned a little bit of that evolution of product. And one of the things I love about the hot list is that, you know, whether you are Callaway or Adele Golf, you are still going through the same submission process and the same evaluation process. What has been kind of the importance of the smaller vendors over the course of uh, of the hot list and, and how have they kind of played a role maybe as an industry as a whole? Yeah, I, I think the, for us, the real fun of the hot list is when a product emerges from a company that's not one of the big five or as we like to refer to them, the mid-majors, which are the, you know, kind of Mizunos of the world and, and maybe Cobra. Uh, but you know, when an Adele product or a Betnardi product or back early in the year, the Bobby Jones uh, fairways and hybrids did extremely well. I, I think it gives the hot list legitimacy. Uh, I mean, we hear the cries, it's all bought and paid for, it's all big advertisers. I yawn when I hear that because uh, it's also littered with product from smaller companies that otherwise people would never hear from. And I think the importance to the industry is it it keeps you on your toes, and a lot of these smaller companies come out with innovations that really are intriguing. I mean, some of the things that Dell has done with its putters, uh, you shortly thereafter see other companies kind of copying what they do. 
And uh, I think that's great. Uh, if we can bring good ideas to golf, it not only helps the industry, it helps the everyday player. What kind of trends are you seeing um, maybe in woods, irons, and putters uh, fairly more recently um, that are kind of, you know, kind of pervasive amongst all of the vendors here lately? I, I think in woods, particularly drivers, I think what struck us over the last couple of years is a reduced emphasis on adjustability. Uh, for a number of years, a lot of companies were, you know, rushing to the adjustable area, and, and with good reason. It's an amazing fitting tool. Uh, but I think they finally figured out they didn't need to have 2,187 different settings. Uh, and in design, you build in adjustability, you're taking away your ability to do something else. And I think they felt it was more useful to focus on the something else, uh, most notably probably helping ball speed on off-center hits. Uh, in irons, certainly the trickle-down effect, you're seeing a lot of cup faces and hollow body construction, which used to be reserved for metal woods. Uh, you know, they've been in irons for quite some time now, but now everybody's got them. And uh, the distance gains that you can get in irons is very noticeable. If someone out there hasn't gotten a new set of irons in five years, and their excuse is, these set me just fine. No, they really don't. Uh, you're really leaving something on the table. And I think in putters, it's been, uh, you know, the mallet craze. Uh, you know, mallets used to be looked at as kind of a crutch for those who couldn't putt very well. And now they are very, you know, well thought out, heavily engineered, you know, golf equipment. You know, putters are not just personal. I mean, they're personal in that you know what you like and what you don't like, but they are equipment and they are high tech. And that technology is going to help you, whether it's moment of inertia to help you on putts that you strike on the toe or the heel or a face design that promotes a better, faster forward roll. Uh, they have gotten to that point where that they produce those type of clubs now. What kind of advice would you give to someone who, you know, maybe hasn't gotten new clubs in five or six years about how going through that process? Well, I think it's, uh, it's definitely a process, as you say. And number one, we bang the fitting drum really hard. And, and it bothers me when I hear people say, I'm not good enough to get fit. No, you, you actually need to get fit the most because you don't have the skills to overcome you know, a bad fit. Yeah, we stress uh, that yeah. all the time as well. Without question, because while some people may say, I don't have a very good swing, every swing has a certain DNA to it that's unique to that player. And a good fit can help take whatever that DNA is and mask some of those flaws if you have them. Uh, you know, better players actually, they get fit because they know the benefits of it, but they're better equipped to overcome not being fit because they actually have skills. We don't endorse that, but it's just driving home the point. Just because you're not a good player doesn't mean you shouldn't get fit. The other thing I would say is do some research ahead of time. Try to narrow your choices down to a manageable level. You know, go in thinking you might want to try these two or three things, but be totally open to what your fitter might put in front of you. Uh, you know, so many times people say, well, I want to try the Mizuno or a want to try the TaylorMade or the Cal, whatever it may be, and they end up walking out with something totally different. So let your mind be open to that, 
And then finally, be a little bit cautious of a fitter that just wants to fit you to your Sunday punch. You know, say you're getting fit for a driver and you hit a bunch of balls and you just smoke two of them. And then the fitter's kind of like, oh, there you go. That's it. That's for you. No, because that's not your normal game. You want to be fit to your average shot. So be on the lookout for that. Most good fitters will steer away from that. But, you know, fitters are businessmen too. Sometimes they're looking to sell you a club. Just something to be on the lookout for. Yeah, I'll throw in there secondly, too. Most of the fitters have an opportunity to do averages of shots. And so, you know, when we're doing fits in our player performance studio, we'll average, uh, you know, your 10 most average shots and then compare them against one another. So, Mike, you're right on on, on line there with uh, not uh, comparing peak shot versus peak shot. Yep, there's a reason they call it the Sunday punch. It only shows up <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> I'm still looking. I have it more of a Saturday punch. So, with my, yeah. Um, here, a little personal question. What, if we looked in your golf bag, what is the favorite golf club in your bag currently? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I would say it's my wedges. I have a trio of Cleveland RTX 4 wedges that I was fit for 50 degrees, 54, 58. And I say that because three years ago, I had really bad chip yips. And I worked really hard with my golf pro to get out of it. And and part of it was getting fit for my wedges. You know, you think the equipment guy at Golf Digest would be smart enough to know, you know, you need to get fit for your wedges just like your, uh, your iron driver and everything else. But I hadn't. I, I just had stock wedges, which was dumb because my iron spec was three quarters of an inch over and a degree upright. So I got wedges that were that spec as well. And they really helped in the battle, if you will, to overcome the chip yips. And right now my short game's actually not just serviceable, it's actually pretty darn good. And so, uh, you know, when I grabbed the 58 degree, I no longer fear it. I'm actually kind of excited to hit the shot. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, I have one last question here for you, Mike, and um, that's kind of on the new family that you guys have semi-recently joined. Um, Digest is now part of the Discovery family, and I just I kind of wanted to maybe ask you kind of what the impact of being part of this large, larger media conglomerate has kind of been over the last year or two? Well, this is not sucking up to the boss, but I will. It, it's been terrific, and I truly mean that. Uh, there was obvious, anytime there's change, there's obviously a little trepidation. You know, Discovery was a, a massive, uh, you know, it, it is a massive company, and you wonder where an entity like us fits in. Uh, they welcomed us right from the get-go. Discovery Golf, which is kind of the umbrella of TDMS Digest and some other things. But what we quickly found out was they didn't do what we did, and we didn't do what they did, so it was a match made in heaven. And they welcomed us, and we've become a really tight-knit team. And part of the fun of being with a larger outfit, has, for me, has actually been outside of the day-to-day work. It's been things like being involved in task forces on diversity and being on task forces on mentoring, uh, you know, things that you don't 
get involved in if you're with a smaller company because uh, they just don't do those sort of things. So it's been really rewarding and uh, watching our video team grow and having the resources to do the things we want to do. Uh, basically, they say no project is off limits. Bring it up and we'll see what happens. And uh, I think going forward for the hot list, uh, you're going to see that getting supersized in some way as well. Well, Mike, thank you very much for your time. Um, again, uh, I'll just reiterate to everybody that's out there listening. Um, the hot list is, uh, and again, because I've been able to watch it for, gosh, the better part of a decade or more from the inside out, um, one of the most well thought through, highly analyzed, honest uh, applications in, in golf club comparison. And, and I know we have so many golfers out our way that it's kind of the Bible for you know, them opening up the first of the season just to see what's out there and, and uh, kind of a starting point, a jumping off point to, to analyze new equipment. So, Mike, thank you for your time. Um, we really appreciate you joining us on Hazel Rockets. Ken, it's been my absolute pleasure, and uh, thanks for all your help over the years. Sounds good. Thank you. 